evening. I'm thankful that you're here this evening. I hope you're excited about being here this evening. Uh, I've met a number of you, and you said that you know my father. That's my grandfather. Actually, my grandfather. You might know a little place called Woodbury, but there's another little place outside of Woodbury about five miles. If you were around several years ago, if you stood right about here, it'd be called Moortown. If you stood right about here, it was called Smith Grove. And if you stood right about here, it was called Shibagi. And somewhere out in our parking lot is that little division of area. And uh, there were all kinds of little areas out in that, that community a number of years ago, 50, 60 years ago. And my grandfather had the opportunity to go around to the gospel meetings to preach, to teach, talk to people. Uh, he used to drive his horse and buggy to the gospel meetings. And many people knew him and my aunts and my dad and my uncle as they went and did those things. Now, jumping 50 years ahead of time, I have the great privilege to go back to that little community and to work with a group of faithful Christian people desiring to grow in their faith and to be able to do the things that God desires for us to do. Your Buell Warren that was mentioned today on the sick list, his brother-in-law, Brother Millard Young, is one of our song leaders there at the Smith Grove Church of Christ. And there's an old oak tree whenever there was a uh, a school at the back part of the, the lot there. There's an old oak tree where they used to go and play in the shade of that oak tree, not knowing that years later they'd be attending church there still and there'd be generations of people reaching out to touch the lives of other people. I want to tell you it's a great thing for you to be a part of the Bobby Branch Church of Christ. And you ought to think it one of the greatest things this side of heaven, to be able to work together in such unity, to have such a great influence upon the church in this community and the communities round about. I appreciate Brother, uh, Brother Lawrence. I appreciate Tony in, in the fact that he has dedicated himself not only to this generation, but to the generations which are to come. When I moved to Woodbury about 20 years ago, we began working as part of the Bible Bowl out of Woodbury. And working in that, I didn't have any kids involved, so I was working with other people's children at the time. And for a couple of years, I kind of took a back seat in a lot of things because I, my children started to come along. And as they came along, my, my little girl was born, and then a little boy was born, then another little boy was born, then another little girl was born, then another little girl was born, then another little boy was born, then another little boy was born, and then another little boy was born. And those little bugs Brother Tony was talking about, he has been the director of that Bible Bowl through their whole life. And this is the first year, the first year that one of my children will not be in Bible Bowl because they have gone through the whole Bible Bowl and have now graduated and is out of it. The impact of Bible Bowl and of Bobby Branch and Tony Lawrence will have that in this generation and the generation to come to encourage other children to teach their children as they grow up the importance of following the Word of God. Brother Steve Hillis also and working together with him, I know tonight he's actually going to be speaking in another congregation a little later this evening. I appreciate him and the influence he's had in this community at Boyd Christian, at Bobby Branch, and other ways that he has served this congregation and other people. And I want to encourage you, this week is a fantastic week for you. Vacation Bible School is always a highlight. Then at the end of the week you have two more youth activities. Don't ever think that you're throwing your efforts away by investing in the next generation. Because they will have a young man that will stand up, just like I'm standing before you, talking about their grandparents and their parents and other preachers and other teachers and other students of the Bible, parents and friends that stand up and say, I remember whenever I went to church there 
and I want to have a part of what they are a part of. Now tonight my lesson is from Galatians chapter 4 and verse 16. It says, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Now if I were to ask you this question, how many people here like to be wrong? Not me. How many people like to be right? How many people like to be right all the time? Don't point at your wife. Don't point at your husband. All right? We like to be right all the time. Now, we're not right all the time. Sometimes we make mistakes. Did you know that? Sometimes we are not perfect. Even if you marry that perfect person, they might make a mistake somewhere down the way. You can't go to a perfect church because it's made up of people, and they're going to make mistakes. But you know, whenever you make a mistake, do you like to be told that you're wrong? You know, I like to be told when I'm wrong. I just don't like the feeling of being told that I'm wrong. And you know, the hardest way we have of people telling us is the people who are the closest to to you. You know, wouldn't you rather your friend tell you you're wrong than your wife? Wouldn't you rather your friend tell you you're wrong than your husband? Wouldn't you want somebody maybe from the outside tell you you're wrong, kind of guide you along the way? But when someone's really close to you and they say, I really think we should have turned there, you say what? No, I don't think so. I know a different way. Oh, I really think that was the door we should go out of and what we need to do. I mentioned this morning, my, my lesson this morning talking about, has, have you ever gone to a mall? Where I was raised, we had ten malls within ten miles of my house. That was just the place we went. We went to malls. We had all kinds of malls, places to go, things to do, people to see, that type of thing. And we go inside the mall. Whenever we go inside the mall, we get turned around a little bit. Anybody ever get turned around? You're kind of looking at me like you don't have no idea what I'm talking about here. I mean, you go to a big mall and you turn around and you think, you know, I know for sure this is the door we're supposed to go out. Somebody says, no, we should go out this door over here. And you go outside and maybe you should have gone out the other door. And you know, in the parking lot, they have these great big letters on top. It says Section K, Section J, Section L, Section A. You know what those are up there for? So when you walk in, you look at it and say, I parked in Section K. Do you know when I remember to look at those letters? As I'm walking out. I don't remember when I'm walking in. I know when I'm going in, I'm supposed to get something. And whenever I get inside, I think, you know, I should have looked at those letters before I got into the situation where I needed those letters. So I'm trying to train my kids. Kids, look at the letters today. not going to notice it. And then I'll ask them as I walk out. And that helps me to go in the right direction. But sometimes I can be thoroughly convinced that I'm just going to walk out this door and I'll get outside and realize I've walked at the complete other end of the mall when I should have been getting out this door over here. There's a group of people, and I don't know if it's generational or just certain groups of people within a generation, that if you disagree with them, they think that you don't like them. Have you ever met people like that? Someone you disagree with and, and think, they don't, I've got some people in my family that way. I don't mean my kids or my wife or anything like that, but some people in my family, that if I disagree with them, they think I don't like them. And it's hard for me to get across to them and say, listen, I disagree with you, but that doesn't mean I don't like you. I love you, but I just don't agree with what you're saying. I've told people I'm truly not your friend until we have had a disagreement and we still get along with each other. This is kind of what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, he says, because I tell you the truth, have I become your enemy? Well, what happens whenever we get to the church, and in the church we hold certain traditions? And there are certain traditions within the church. You have a certain order of worship. We have certain things that we say, certain phraseology in our, in our songs, certain phraseology in our, in our prayers. And we do that to be decently and in order. 
You go and visit another congregation somewhere else, maybe somewhere up north or out west, and they do things differently, and you begin to do a check and say, is that right? Is it okay for them to have the Lord's Supper before the lesson or after the lesson or some way different than the way that I'm used to? Well, what happens when the truth challenges our traditions? Will we hold to the tradition or will we lean towards the truth? What happens whenever the truth challenges our former beliefs? So often people say, as we tell the denominational world, or we tell people outside the faith, you need to challenge everything that you hear. You need to take it to the Scripture and search the Scripture to be sure that it is true. Check it daily. But yet then when people come into the church, we kind of hold back those questions. Well, let me tell you something. I think you should challenge everything you hear, even in the church. And I don't mean challenge the authority. You go back and check and speak sure that it's so. Brother Tony may be preaching the total truth on everything, and you might have heard it wrong. He's preaching it right, but you might have heard it wrong. Go home and check the truth. I might misspeak myself, and you need to go home and check the truth. The truth is not afraid of anyone challenging it. In fact, if you hold to the truth, you'll find you won't have to have a lot of challenges whenever it comes to Bible study. What happens whenever it comes to the church? The things that we do within the church and we're challenged within the church and someone tells us one thing and we hear it a different way, can we look at it and truly say, I'm going to hold to the truth rather than to tradition? It's been said that the truth heard once is less believable than a lie told a thousand times. So what are some of the things that we hear today along the way of what people have to say? There are certain things that we hold to be true. And yet, whenever the Bible says something, can we stick to what the Bible says and not just to what we have always done within our life? As we read through the Bible, often I talk to my kids. My kids are getting to the age of 18 and 16 and 15 and 14. Do you know what those numbers mean? Driver's license and driver's license and driver's license and driver's license. How would you like to be the driver's ed instructor each year for that? would be a challenge, wouldn't it? And I always tell my kids, you know, you should always do what? We bow our heads, we fold our hands, we close our eyes whenever we pray. Is there any Bible for that? Is there any book, chapter, or verse for that? To bow your heads, close your eyes, and, and pray? There's not. That's tradition. In fact, I want you to understand how traditional that is. When my children drive, I pray for them and I want them to pray, but I don't want them bowing their head, closing their eyes, and folding their hands. Do you? You don't want to be out there, a group of teenagers, bowing their heads, folding their eyes, closing their eyes, and folding their hands while they're driving. But yet the Bible says pray without ceasing. And as they're out there, we want them to realize that as we follow God, we need to see there are certain things that we do in order to be decently and in order, but there are certain things we need to understand that we don't just make a law out of something that is simply tradition. In Matthew chapter 22, I call it the death and taxes chapter. It's a bunch of twos in Matthew 22. Death and taxes. You see, the Pharisees came to entangle Jesus in his talk. And when they came to him, they said, should we pay tribute to Caesar or should we not? And Jesus said, bring me a penny. Show me a penny. Whose image and superscription is it? And they said, it's Caesar's. He said, give to Caesar that which is Caesar. Give to God the things that are God. Shut the Pharisees and Herodians right up. The Sadducees, the Bible says, comes in the same day. And the Sadducees come and say, hey, there was a man and he was married. And then he had uh, his wife, uh, she, he died. And then the wife married the brother. And then another brother, then another brother. And all seven had him. None of them had kids. In the resurrection, who shall she be? Jesus says, you don't understand about the resurrection. You don't understand angels. You don't understand how things are going to be in heaven. 
And we find Jesus shuts down the Sadducees. The Pharisees hear that and say, listen, he shut down the Herodians. He shut down the Sadducees. We've got to send a smart guy in there to, to, to tempt him. And they go and say, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and strength. He says, get this, I'll give you the second one too for free. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. In each of those cases, they were bringing their tradition to the table and Jesus was giving them the truth. They brought their tradition to the table and Jesus gave them the truth. They brought their tradition to the table and Jesus gave them truth. We need to be careful that we don't follow a rules like the Pharisees. A tradition that trumps truth. We need to be careful that we're not like the Sadducees. You see, there are some people who say, oh, we're not like the Sadducees, we believe in heaven. But you know, when I talk to a lot of Christians, they don't believe in heaven until after retirement. Oh, I'll get to that and I'll do that when I retire and have more time. God doesn't guarantee you retirement. Oh, I'll get to that whenever, you know, I don't have to work so hard, you know, after maybe, you know, the end of the day. Well, God doesn't guarantee you the end of the day. Oh, maybe whenever I have grandchildren, I'll, I'll do that. You need to understand, you're kind of looking at things like the Sadducees. You're thinking God's not going to come, God's not going to take you until a particular time you've decided that he's going to come. Don't allow yourself to be a Christian Sadducee. Here God wants us to understand what the truth is. Now look what he does in the book of Galatians. If you go back to chapter 1, we're going to see that Paul is not talking to the denominational world. God is not, Paul is not talking to the Sadducees. He's not talking to the Pharisees. He's not talking to the Herodians. He's not talking to any of these people. He's talking to the church. And the church is made up of a lot of different people, and especially the churches of Galatia. Listen to what he says in verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ into another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. In verse 13, Paul says, I persecuted the church of God and I even wasted it. And he says, when I became a Christian, I didn't go to get the certificate from the apostles. I didn't go down to Jerusalem to be ordained or to go to a certain preaching school. He said, I went out and started preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and standing for the truth. Do you realize I don't need anybody's seal of approval? I don't need another preacher's seal of approval. I don't need my parents' seal of approval. I don't need my family's seal of approval. I don't need anyone's seal of approval except God's seal of approval. God says, study to show yourself approved unto whom? Unto God. If you don't like the way that I'm doing things, it doesn't mean that I'm your enemy. It just means that I want to do the things that God has to say. And that's what Paul says. And we're going to see how he does that. In chapter 2, Paul says, I don't even fear the apostles. Look at verse 11. He says, but when Peter was come to Antioch in chapter 2, I withstood him to the face because he was to be... You see that word right there? Blamed. If you were to pick two of the greatest people of all the Bible, that the whole book of Acts is made up of, you know who those two people are? Peter and Paul. And you know what Paul said? Even though Peter might have been that great one that God chose whenever he was wrong, he was wrong. I'm not his enemy, but I was there to help him, to encourage him, to correct him, so that way the truth of God might go forward. You go over in chapter 3. Look what he says at the very beginning. Oh, foolish 
Galatians, the very people he's writing to. He's talking to the church. You foolish people who have bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ had been evidently set forth, crucified among you. And then he dares tell them in chapter 3 and verse 26, For you are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. We need to understand something. There's not Smith Grove and Bobby Branch. There's not Woodbury and New Hope. There's not Michigan and Tennessee. There's not Florida and Texas. The Bible says there is one body, there is one church, and when one person is added to the Lord's church, we all grow together. We are not a rivalry. We are a team that works together to affect this world for Jesus Christ. Paul says, I am not bound to any particular individual. I'm not bound to any particular group of people. I'm not bound to any particular tradition. I am bound to Jesus Christ. If that offends you, I want you to realize I am not your enemy, but rather your friend trying to help you to come to a knowledge of the truth. John 8.32 says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you what? Free. The truth shall make you free in Christ Jesus. When we talk about the truth and we talk about being enemies, I think about not only tradition in the church, but what about the world? Now, I might get on my soapbox here for just a moment. If I do, just forgive me for just a few minutes, all right? Because that really riles me up when I hear what the world has to say and what the, what the, uh, what's going on right now in the United States of America and what's happening in the news. And to tell you the truth, I just don't listen to most of it anymore because it gets me too worked up. Whenever they tell me that a man can marry a man and that I'm afraid of them because they do, they don't understand me, nor do they understand Jesus Christ. Just because I disagree with their lifestyle doesn't mean that I'm afraid of them. I'm not a homophobic. I'm afraid not of them. I'm afraid of what their lifestyle will do to our society. What I'm afraid of is whenever they begin saying there's no particular type of a family, the deterioration of that society is going to begin to fall apart. Whenever they say that abortion is just a choice and it's not murder, pretty soon what's going to happen is anyone who's unwanted is going to be cast to the side and pretty soon Christians are going to be the ones that are unwanted. You keep listening to what the news is saying. They're telling us Christianity doesn't have a place in our history. Christianity doesn't have a place in politics. Christianity doesn't have a place in legislation. Let me tell you what, if Christianity doesn't have a place, Christianity won't have a place in the United States of America. We go back and we look at the influence and the impact of our nation. The number one document that influenced the freedoms that we have today is God's holy word, the Bible. And I've had even Christians tell me, said, well, Christians ought not to get involved in politics. If they don't get involved in politics, then who makes the decisions? People who are not Christians. We know we need to raise young men, young women, young people to stand up and say, I am a godly young man and I believe in this and this is what I will stand for and they ought to take it all the way to whatever station they can take it to bring our country back to God. Now I know that we're not a perfect nation but I realize we need to take a stand. We need to support these young people, support the efforts, support their, their desire to serve God and to serve this particular nation. Someone called me up one time whenever an important decision was being made in the community and they said, Brother Al, do you really believe that we can legislate morality? Let me tell you the answer to that thing, that question. There is no law 
anywhere that is not a legislation of morality. It is a legislation of somebody's morality. And if it is not influenced by Christian principles, then it will be a legislation of immorality. And that is the direction that we are seeing now because we are not speaking up about the things that are being thrown at us in this nation. This is not a political sermon. And I'm not saying rise up and have advocacy groups or blow up places or that type of thing. What I'm saying just on a day-to-day basis, let people know that what they're saying is disagreeable to you. Someone says to you, your religion offends me, your prayer offends me. I simply could say to them, well, it offends me that my belief offends you because I still live in that nation. If you can degrade my God, I can stand up for my God just as any other group of people can in this nation. Because I tell you the truth, have I become your enemy? If you want to know the truth, I have not. If you don't want to know the truth, then I have. And that's what Paul is saying in this text. What is it that Paul is trying to say? Paul is trying to say, he says, I'm just trying to share with you the truth. And when you know the truth, the truth will make you free. Now, I understand the context of this is about the Judaizers coming into the church and saying that you need to go back to the Old Testament law and do the things that need to be done. Now, we don't necessarily are pulled back to the Old Testament law, but we need to be careful that we're not pulled back to old traditions that are not based in the foundations of the Word of God. We need to go back to what they were pointing at, saying, let's go back to Jesus Christ. Let's go back to the Word of God. Let's get the Word of God in our hearts and begin studying and loving God. I'd mentioned uh, uh, just the other night, uh, I was over at Morrison, mentioned there, also mentioned up at, uh, at camp, is just something that I've been studying and looking at, helping me to better understand. So often we tell people, you need to go and read the Bible more and pray more. Gotten to the point where I really don't tell people to do that. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to read more and pray more, but reading more and praying more is not going to get you closer to God. It's really not. So, Brother Al, how can you say that as a preacher? I've heard preachers say this for years and years, and yes, and I've done the same, but I want you to understand the context of what we're saying. We're not saying to go to a stranger and talk to him. We're not saying go and read about a stranger in the text. We're not talking about putting a certain number of hours and time in reading a book that has no meaning to you. The Bible does not say... Obey my commands and you will love me. What the Bible says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Just think about this. I have eight children. And I love every single one of them. And I've got one that's five years old that rules the house. You know why he rules the house? Not because we don't have discipline enacted. The fact is that he's got nine parents. And if he wants something, he pretty much so gets it. He doesn't have to wait too much because if this one says no, he goes to the next one. He goes to the next one. Goes the, finally, somebody says yes. And he's very well taken care of. And can you imagine if I went up to him and I said, Now, Jonathan, Jojo, if you would just talk to me more, you would love me more. Jonathan, if you'd just take the trash out more and clean your room more, you would love your father more. How would that work? Wouldn't work very well. That's kind of almost the way we're preaching the Word of God. If you go and do more for God, you'll find you'll love Him more. No, it becomes a burden. You get burned out and it becomes a drudgery. That's not what God said. God said, if you love me, if you truly get in your heart that you love me more than anything else, He says, then when you keep my commandments, it won't be duty, but it'll be desire. You see, you do things for people that you love, not out of duty, but out of desire. 
And God says, when you've done all you can out of desire, then just say, that was my duty. And then continue on. So you can't do anything good enough for God to love you. I hear people say, oh, I hope I'm good enough to go to heaven. I hope I've done enough to go to heaven. Boy, I hope I've gotten enough time in to go to heaven. You know what? God took care of that before you even did the first good deed. Jesus went to the cross 2,000 years ago and he paid the price for you because you know why? Because he loved you more than you could possibly imagine. You can't do one thing that's going to make God love you more. What he's asking you is to do something because you love him more. That's what it's about. And Paul is telling us that. How do I know Paul's telling us that? I want you to look at chapter 6 with me for just a moment. Chapter 6 and verse 14. This will be our last verse that we'll look at for tonight. He says, have I become your enemy because I have told you the truth? He says, no, I don't become your enemy because I've told you the truth. I just want you to come over here so you can be God's friend. Paul made a decision before he ever began preaching. Paul made a decision before he ever stood up to Peter, before he ever stood up to the churches of Galatia, before he ever went on his missionary journeys. Paul made a decision in his life that he would only receive the stamp of approval of one. That was the approval of God through Jesus Christ, his Lord. Listen to what he says in verse 14 of chapter 6. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by the whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Philippians 1.21, he said, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, I love the Lord so much that if I stay in this life, it's to help others to see Jesus in me. And if I die, I go to be with Jesus. I've already resigned myself that I am dead. Now I can go forward without fear. 195 lashes on his back. He says, I will go forward without fear. Being stoned and left for dead, I will go forward and I will not fear. Being beaten with sticks three times, I will go forward and will not fear. Being threatened for death, he said, I will speak to Caesar and present Jesus Christ to him because I will not fear, because I've already died. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. What can we learn from the text tonight? We need to resign ourselves, resign ourselves to serve God and not man. If you do that, you won't try to please any other person. You won't try to change your beliefs for any other person. You will not change anything about the direction that you're going except for for Almighty God. When you resign yourself and crucify yourself to Christ, then you will be able to love your children more than you've ever loved them, to love your wife more than you've ever loved her, to love your husband more than you've ever loved him, to love the church more than you've ever loved it because you've loved God more than you've ever loved Him. Tonight, if you don't love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and strength, then tonight's the night to give your life to Him for the first time or for the tenth time. If you need to come back to Jesus, resign yourself that you'll only follow after God. If you're a child of God tonight, then resign yourself that you're going to influence someone else and that you're not going to worry if you make an enemy. You're going to worry about the truth. And you're going to worry about the love that you have for Jesus Christ. If you need to make a decision tonight, won't you come right now while we stand, while we sing?